Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Tonight's scripture reading will come from Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. You may be seated. When I was in high school taking public speaking, which benefited me greatly, that teacher has long been gone, but she was a great and skilled teacher. I'm not saying any of it rubbed off on me, but I liked her very much. She was an older woman then, very talented. She used to talk about illustrations. Any kind of instructional speaking to be good needs to involve illustrations. Some people describe it as being like a window through which you can look and see the truth better. And Jesus believed in illustrations, and you know what that means. It means the parables. Why did he go to the trouble to do that? And you know the answer. It's just, it, it's not unusual when I preach, and it happened this morning that, that uh, what some people remember the most are the illustrations. I don't, I don't take any offense to that. The, the illustration helps us with application. And somebody said this morning after the sermon to me, well, said, um, you know, what you said about how I would address Karen Carpenter if she was my friend, what I would say to her. I've never thought about that before, but but I'll remember that. I'm going to do it. That, this, so, so that it was the illustration. Or about the glue. We talked about the, the tennis shoe glue. And if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're online or whatever, you can listen to this morning's sermon if you like. Tonight I want to talk about some illustrations. But what's unique and common throughout this, this line of seven different illustrations is that all of them illustrate the Bible. It's the Bible illustrating the Bible. It is what the Bible says about itself. And sometimes, you know, people call these symbols, and maybe, maybe you'll think of it that way. The symbols of the Bible in the Bible. Some of them are in the Old, some in the New Testament. And here's the first one. The Bible is a lamp or a light. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Now look at Psalm 119, now verse 30. Drop down to verse 30. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. There's two different ways that the light, the Bible is like light. The first one is obvious, and that is that it illuminates our understanding of what is right. How many, how many men in this room are better husbands because they've read Ephesians chapter 5? And that, that a husband is the head of the family, he's the head of the wife, but he loves her like Christ loved the church. And how many of us dwelling on that have, have made better husbands? It's light. I, I was preaching this morning some about Matthew 19 and verse 9 says, only for the cause of fornication, only for that can you divorce and remarry someone else. 
How many marriages do you suppose through the years have been saved because that verse says what it says and that people have read it and understood it and the light about the sacredness of marriage has really impressed them? You think about my business, and I know something about business and about the honesty of business, and this is true in whatever business you happen to involve yourself. And so you have Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, and provide things honest in the sight of all men. What's that? It's it's the scripture giving you light. But now there's another way that light is used, and another way that the scripture is like light, and it's John chapter 3, and I made reference to this this morning where Jesus said they love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't like to go where the light is, live in darkness, you live in sin. You don't like the light because it it sheds, opens up, it illuminates, and it makes it where people can see or the Lord can see what you're doing. And the Bible has a way of doing that. And that can be very healthy, sitting and listening to a sermon or a Bible class or just reading from the Scripture yourself. And And you come across something and you realize, I'm going astray. I'm going awry in this subject. This whatever it happens to be, this matter, and I need to straighten up my life. So the light is like that. The scripture is light. Now here's number two. The scripture's fire. It is like fire. Here's Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? There's a couple of ways where this is applicable too. And one of them is is a crucible that would purify precious metal. I've seen this happen before, only once. But but a jeweler who's a friend of mine, he's an elder in the church in another state, and he wanted to show me how this works. And so he has a small crucible, and it was about about this big, maybe a a half pint that it would hold, something like that. And, And he put the gold in there, and he heats it, and it becomes liquid, and it just moves around in the crucible. But and I don't even know if this is done now, but it was done in ancient times, that you would take the, the metal in its raw form, and you would heat it like that, and it would separate the pure metal from the dross or from the impurities. Well, Peter uses this in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, and he's talking about the trial of our faith. Now, let me tell you something. I, I've got faith. I have never enjoyed having the trial of my faith. I never have. I've gone through some of that, and I can tell you what, if I don't go through any more, I'm just fine without that. But sometimes it blesses us, and the, the illustration that Peter uses is this, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, might be found, though it be tested by fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He said, it's just an illustration. I'm only using illustration here, but it's very much like the gold that's heated in the crucible and it separates the impurities, the dross from the pure gold. Your faith is like that. And when you go through the trial of your faith, it can be good. That's hard. But if you've gone through some of that crucible stuff in your life, then you probably know that Peter was right about that. In what way is the Bible like fire? In the way that that when I learn it and when I go through the trial of my faith that's derived from studying it, I'm purified. It makes me a stronger Christian. It makes me closer to my God. It'll bring me to my knees. The second way that fire is used is something that Jeremiah said in chapter 20. Of Jeremiah. And he, he said, 
I tried to not speak of him anymore. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't not talk about him because it was like a fire in my bones, deep in my heart. I could not not talk about him. Now, listen to me. Courage is born of a conviction of truth. I think about, about Matthew 17, and you think about the Mount of Transfiguration, and what do you, how do you make sense of the Mount of Transfiguration? And Peter and James and John, they're there and with the Lord, and you have Moses and Elijah, and Moses and Elijah have been dead a long time, and you know how that is. And the answer is that I believe that Peter, you, Peter is going to go through some horrific times, some hard times, some hard tests of his faith. And he needs to know that he knows that he knows that Jesus really is the Son of God. You know what they're talking about, don't you, on the Mount of Transfiguration? They're talking about the upcoming crucifixion of Jesus. And you got you got Moses and Elijah there, and I talked about this the other day, that Peter recognized them. I don't know how that is. I just know that he did. And he knows that they're, they were dead, and now here they are. They're, they're alive in whatever form, and he identifies them, and Go ahead and walk up to him and say, Peter, all this is a farce. The thing about Christ and, and him being from heaven, that's not real. Don't believe that. Go ahead and try to say that to him. You know what he's going to respond? It is too true. I've seen the miracles. And I, I saw the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw what happened. Of course it's true. He needed the truth to, to gender that, that conviction and fire. The Word of God is like that. That's why Jeremiah said it was like fire in my bones. I had a, had a conversation really uh, recently in another state with a brother who's an elder in the church, and I'm going to tell you this. I, I, don't, I don't know what he meant to say, and I've, in my life there have been times when I said things that I, I walk away. Did you ever do this? And you think, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that differently. You, I think we all do that. Maybe that's what happened with him, but he and I had a few minutes to talk, and he, he referenced the fact that in their congregation they have two different services on the Lord's Day on Sunday morning, two services. And and we talked about the preacher, and the preacher preaches the same same sermon both times, and which makes sense. And he said, now, now, some churches have a traditional service, and then they have a progressive service. Now, we don't do that here. When I thought, well, good. You know, we don't do that either. We're not going to do that. You know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, two worship assemblies that are different. Come on, it's not right. And can't be right. It would suggest that maybe we don't know the truth about what we should be doing in worship. Maybe God didn't express himself adequately in the Bible. Anyway, so of course we're not going to. But anyway, he said, no, no, we don't do that. We don't have progressive and traditional service because I, you know what? Churches lose members when they do that. I thought, well, I mean, I, I, maybe that's true. I, maybe, I don't know, but that's not the reason we don't do it. It wasn't a matter of, of strong conviction with him. It wasn't a matter that that this truth that we shouldn't have two different kinds of worship just to please them. When your when your worship degenerates down to where it's just about what I prefer, then you're in big trouble. Worship has to be motivated by what does God want me to do, and we're going to do God's will His way, right? It's got to be what it is because after all, what we're about is worshiping Him. Fire is sometimes used in reference to Scripture to describe my appreciation for the truth. I, I was pressed, he said, to not say his name, to not tell the truth, but I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. And conviction about truth gives a man courage. He gets courage from that conviction. It's like a fire.
Mm, here's number three. It's like a hammer. The Bible is like a hammer. This one is in Jeremiah 23 and 29. The Bible says, It's not my word like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. You take a, a big old brawny man, got hands that are big and rough, and he's a tough guy and looks a little like me, tough guy. And, and uh, he's a skinflint. He's a, he's a cheapskate. He doesn't turn loose of his money for nothing. You know, you ever know anybody like that? just really cheap like that. You go to lunch with them, you know, and comes time to pay, and he says, here, let me pay. goes real slow because, you know, that can work out. Well, you, the old-timers used to say, you know, remember the old statement about he would squeeze a nickel so tight, you know, that the buffalo, you know, maybe you don't know what that means. But, but you take this big old brawny man with those hands and let a four-year-old granddaughter walk up to him and say, Granddaddy, I really want some ice cream off that truck, and it's only $12. And he's going to... He's going to break his arm trying to reach around to his hip pocket to get that wallet and get that money out to pay for that. Right, Glenn? That's what he's going to do. And, and, and you know why? It's because she breaks that old hard heart. And you take a man who's lived in some sort of sin, some sort of pet sin that's attached itself to his soul, and he's lived in it a long time, but then he hears preaching, or maybe hears a Bible class, or maybe somebody in the church, a Christian, appeals to him from Scripture and tells him about that cross and about how that just describes it to him. And and, uh, the Word of God will break that heart. I don't mean it does every time, but I'm telling you, a man lets it inside of him and it'll break his heart. When you talk about Scripture, you're not talking about some other kind of book. The Bible's not like any other kind of book. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But uh, here's, you know, Jude 22 and 23. Some save with compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, putting them out of the fire. What's that? It's a hammer is what it is. And one way or the other... It has the power to break a hard heart. Here's number number four. A mirror. It's, it's a mirror. James 1 and verse 23. Anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer is like unto a man who beholds his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholds himself and straightway forgets what manner of man he is, and he just goes on his way. You you know how that doesn't make any sense to look in the mirror in the morning if you're not going to fix the problems, the imperfections, right? Wow, man, I look terrible. Look at that hair. Oh, well, that's no, why would you look in the mirror in the first place? Well, the Bible is like that. Now you look in the word of God and it will reflect who you are. That's why it's so important in our sermons and teaching classes. It's so important that we make applications, that we read the Bible and then we apply it to our lives. And you ought to be able to do it where you sit. Don't, don't be somebody who just sits in the pew and you, you hear the word of God, but you, don't much apply it. That's what's criticized here. Don't be like that. You, you ought to be listening all the time and thinking, how can I use this? How does this apply to me directly and make use of it? Otherwise, while the Bible is a mirror and how valuable is that, you may waste it. Here's number five. The Bible is like spiritual food. Now, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 perhaps familiar, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 
Here's the thing about that is you don't want to stay there. I mean, you want to grow beyond the, the milk of the word. That's what the writer of Hebrews describes in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And he says, now, when need be that you should be teachers, you ought to be mature enough as a Christian to be a teacher. You're not there. You're not there at all. And you have need that somebody comes and teaches you the first principles of the oracles of God. You've got to grow beyond that. You're only good enough, strong enough for the milk, but not for the meat or the solid food of the word. You take a, don't you like to eat a good steak sometimes? I do. You take a steak and give it to a man and he'll enjoy it, but you give it to a baby and he'll choke. You take strong meat of the word and you give it to somebody who's, who's a babe in Christ and he can't handle it. That's okay if he's a babe in Christ, but what if you stay a baby all your life? The point of this is that, that the scripture is spiritual food and we need to be growing. We always need to be growing. Number six, we're going to do seven. Number six is that it's the seed. It's the seed. Now, this takes us over to Luke chapter 8. And, and this is where Jesus teaches the, the parable of the soils. And the sower went forth to sow his seed. And seed fell, you know, he was broadcasting the seed. And seed fell in different places. And some of it fell on the thorny ground, some of the wayside soil, some of the rocky soil, and some on the good soil. And then Jesus, Jesus says, now the soils represent people's hearts. And this is just as applicable today as it ever was. You go and you teach people the gospel in your life, and some people are going to receive it, and some people ultimately will reject it, and that makes evangelism challenging. What Jesus said was true. But in verse 11 of Luke 8, Jesus says, Now the seed is the word of God. Seed's the word of God. That's, that's a wonderful lesson there, and everybody needs to have a grasp of this, that, that seed, the, the Bible seed or the gospel seed, or you could call it church seed, Seed is just as useful today in the hearts of honest and good people as it ever was. You, you think about Acts, the second chapter, and, and Peter stood up with those other apostles and they preached, and particularly Peter, and he preaches the gospel seed. And those people who listened, they obeyed the gospel. They were baptized to have their sins forgiven. Now, what happens if you take that same seed, same gospel seed, and you, you bring it to Alabama and you preach it here? What happens is that well, the same thing. What will come up to people who will accept it is, is Christians and members of the church of Christ. That, that's what it will produce because that's what's in the seed. What's the Bible? Jesus said that the seed is the word of God. Now, here's the seventh one. It's the sword. This is used in more than one place that, that the Bible is like a sword Ephesians 6 and 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. Now, what's up with that? Well, I don't know exactly what he had in mind, but i tell you this. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter stood up to preach, the Bible says that what he was preaching pricked them in their hearts. There's a cutting effect to the preaching of the Word of God. Isn't that true? Sometimes preaching, sometimes men, sadly, who preach will, will dull the blade so that it doesn't, nothing ever cuts, nothing ever is confrontational, nothing ever challenges us with our temptations or our sins or our struggles. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even 
to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I just think that's fascinating because you read that Bible. Well, you read any any, any book. You, you read it, but this book sort of reads you. Isn't that what that says? It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so what you're reading again like the mirror is that you look into God's Word and you see yourself as you really are. The Bible here says that it's a sword and it's alive. I grew up in a preaching family and my father used to say when I was young, you be careful about how you handle the Word of God because it's not like any other book. It's a living book and it's powerful. It's a sword. You be careful how you use it and make sure that you're always honest with the Scriptures, always honest with the Word of God. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.